You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by Open Text Public Sector Executive and Global Government Thought Leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. The idea of normal back then got us to where we're at. So this new normal, let's add that, you know, in terms of what this new normal looks like, you know, not just during the pandemic, but also some of the challenges that we had in terms of um, certain parts of the community feeling left out. Talking about systemic changes within government and how equity and or how police and community relations. So when we look at normal, normal is what got us here. Normal should allow us to imagine what is and to what we should be able to do. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And we've had some really good guests on here from government, including CIOs from all levels. But this episode is the first chief service officer I've had on the show. And with the increased focus happening on citizen services for governments all over the world, this is probably well overdue. The pandemic really prompted governments at all levels to renew their focus on the citizen experience for digital services. The intermittent shutdowns accompanying the pandemic highlighted the importance and potential for government agencies to interact with citizens online. As we all well know, citizens today expect efficient and effective online services from their government. Whether they're registering their vehicle or applying for a hunting permit, citizens want to engage with the government in a way that's similar to their other online experiences. But what is it like for someone putting these programs in place? And how do they work with their peers to ensure the technology is there to drive their strategies forward? That's one of the many things we're going to be discussing with my guest today, the Chief Service Officer for the City of Buffalo, Oswaldo Mester. He was appointed to the role in 2006 by Mayor Byron Brown. And Oswaldo has been instrumental in rolling out the 311 Call and Resolution Center, But a lot has changed since 2006, especially in the last year and a half. And we're going to dive into how the pandemic has changed his strategy and what he sees being the new normal as a result. Recently, the American Society for Public Administration awarded him the 2021 Excellence in Government Administration Award for his work during the past year. So I know there'll be some great insights to share on how he pivoted both his internal and external strategies. As Waldo, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Brian, thank you for having me. As you and I talked about, this is a special episode for me, and not just because of what I announced in the opening around being the first chief services officer that I have on the show, but I am originally from Buffalo, New York, so this is a really cool experience. And from what I hear, my cousin still goes back more than I do, but he's talked about the waterfront area and how it's growing and how it's really opening up for the citizens there. What have you seen since you've been in this role for a while? What have you seen from an evolution standpoint from the city of Buffalo? Well, I have the fortune of being probably the longest serving a tenured um, commissioner or department head within this administration. And I've seen, um, you know, Buffalo is a very resilient city. Um, it's resilient, um, have a blue collar um, working class city. Um, you're right about our downtown and the investments that we're doing. But we're also looking into the um, various neighborhoods to look at to see how equity plays a role in terms of development. And so you can't have a city without having a core. And we have that. 
you know, um, healthcare is, um, is an industry that's booming. Um, we are the seat of government in Erie County, um, in Western New York as well. Um, our architecture, I mean, you know, Buffalo is this world-class city, and I can't talk about Buffalo if I don't talk about the Buffalo Bills too, right? <laughs> you know, and what we've been able to do. But again, it just speaks to, you know, the resiliency of the city um, in terms of what we can do and how we can make things happen. Yeah. And I think you touched on a couple of things there, especially around equity and inclusion. And I had a conversation with Ayushi Roy, who works at 18F within GSA and especially focuses on state and local governments. And that was a big part of what we talked about. And we'll get into a little bit of that today. But I really want to ask you right off the bat, how has the pandemic really impacted you and the citizens you you serve within the city of Buffalo. It's been a long period of time. You've been in this role since 06, but obviously it's changed in the past year and a half. What does that look like for you now? Well, as a chief service officer, one of the things that Mayor Brown did is um, create or elevated a department and allowed this department to look at citizens as its chief commodity. Um, We have different departments. The way government is set up, police and fire and public works or guys who play with Tonka trucks, you know, and, and, and you have other departments budget and, 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 um, community services. So, um, being a chief service officer, my direct commodity or my, my, my department focus has always been on citizens and how do we address that? And so we have a call center, a three one one call center. Um, initially it was called a, when we got here, it was called a mayor's complaint line. I was like, uh Oh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, and we knew we were going to change and infuse technology, peoples and processes. But one of the things we had to change that moniker, right? Because, you know, when people call or when people have this expectation of call, click or watch you, you use the word complaint. We changed it to call and resolution center. We made um, a promise to residents in the community that um, if you contacted us in some type of way, you should have an expectation of a resolution. And how do we build on to that? How do we use software and technology? How do we make the investment on employees to make sure that we focus on residents in the community? So during the pandemic, that really rang through, right? We did our homework in the beginning. And so when challenges happen to cities, and I'm a big believer that cities is, you know, is where, um, you know, the rubber meets the road. Um, It's where you can go to the store and look at the and say, wait, that's the mayor. You can very rarely do that with a governor or even a president of the United States. Or you can say, hey, that's the guy, that's the administrator, that's the guy who runs the 311. Let me go talk to him. Let me go. Actually, I'm sitting next to him in church, right? You know, and so it forces you to innovate, you know, while thinking about community members in mind on a daily basis. And so during the pandemic, um, we had a system where we had a where we were talking with residents. We made the mayor and I and, and other community departments said, you know, to focus on this two-way communication on how we listen, on how we talk with residents, and how we portray and how we give information is paramount and is important. Boom, the pandemic hits, right? We're like, uh-oh. Well, you know what? We're built for this, right? If we build this right and we do this thing right, we should be able to do that. And so obviously there are other departments that had to gear up, police and fire and emergency tech services. We had to gear up in terms of all of those things, but 311 or that call center or that two-way information was important. And so not only did you run a call center, you know, in Buffalo, we have this beautiful building, City Hall. It's one of the oldest, um, tallest city halls in the country, right? Art Deco. And so all those services was in there. And as the pandemic was shutting down cities, it was also shutting down governments. What do I mean when I say shutting down? 
Um, the function of government still had to go, but we had to rethink it on the fly and think it very fast. And so with our call center, you know, the government governor was calling the shots in all of the counties and all of the cities. And so um, probably within a week span, we had 100 participation of city government employees in one building. After two days, it went to 50 percent. And we were getting this win, right? You know, and as we were shutting things down or kind of refocusing things and telling people to go home, we still had to have a call center. We still had to have a way that we talk to people. And the mayor and our IT department prioritized this department is priority zero number one. And so always, you know, and I can talk to my colleagues, our colleagues talk about what's on our roadmap. You always have digital or we always have them you know, doing something remote on the roadmap. You know, it's there. You say you want to get to it, right? Well, the pandemic forced us to get there much faster. And so we had to look to see and we had to procure. We had to set aside the monies and say, we have to move our call center into a remote operation. We didn't have that. We kind of had a hybrid where people can walk in city and we did walk-ins, but we did people call. And we also had self-service where people would go online and we had an app as well. You know, the focus here is that, you know, with a call center, you know, in private industry, I don't have to be in a building, right? I don't have to be somewhere. And so we had to ramp up our investment in our employees and make sure that they were ready, our software that we were ready, and also um, our equipment and all of that too. And so we did that. You know, I always joke around within 48 hours. Sometimes it takes people months, you know, to plan or whatever. But because the need was there, because the pandemic hit upon us, we could not afford not to make this transition happen. And I say 48 hours because, you know, um, I talked about on that Wednesday, 50%. We went down the next day to 25%. And literally on Friday, everybody had to leave City Hall. We were taking laptops. We were taking things we were at. And we had to prioritize about how do we set up this remote center. And again, working, you know, over the weekends, we knew because we take calls and from Monday through Friday, we knew Monday morning was our zero drop dead. We had to be up, you know, and we worked through the weekend and I can tell you more details. But the idea here is that we put citizens first. We knew that this was a this was a lifeline in terms of making that happen. What does it look like now? So in the United States, we're getting back to a situation where, especially with the vaccine rollout, where we're getting as close to normal as we've been. And and I would say 16 months ish. What's it going to look like when we do get back to normal? Are you going to continue with a an, a city hall call center, a remote call center, some type of hybrid approach? What does that what does that strategy look like moving forward? Well, I think the days of having a call center located in a particular building, I think if we're looking and we're being honest with ourselves, those days should be over, right? You know, we should you know um, challenges um, force us to think about innovation, and so um, we do have a hybrid. Um, in fact, all of our call center agents are working remotely from home. They're City of Buffalo residents. They're there. They're taking the calls. It allowed us to make investments in our technology on the back end, how we monitor those calls, how we record those, how we manage that. Um, the hybrid only in the sense that you were still relying on people coming inside City Hall. And so we want to we meant, wanted to make staying a small presence of that. But again, driving people to our self-service. Driving people digitally has been very important and adopting that in terms of our call center. Very, very important in terms of that. So those days of, of that, maybe there are some municipalities that are still doing it, 
But I think you talked about this idea of normal. Well, the idea of normal back then got us to where we at. So this new normal, let's add that, you know, in terms of what this new normal looks like, you know, not just during the pandemic, but also some of the challenges that we had in terms of um, certain parts of the community feeling left out. Talking about systemic changes within government and how equity and or how police and community relations. And so when we look at normal, normal is what got us here. Normal should allow us to ima- imagine what is and to what we should be able to do. You know, so that's how we look at that. No, I think that's a good point. And one of the things that I've spoken about and you even touched on it was how the pandemic really accelerated what we were eventually going to get to. Mm-hmm. And and you've talked about getting the right technology in place. What does that look like behind the scenes? You're obviously driving the strategy around uh, citizen service deployment and working with your peers in the form of the, the chief information officer, chief technology officer. What does that back office collaboration look like within the city of Buffalo when you're trying to ultimately deploy a successful strategy holistically? Well, if I'm honest, I mean, it's good. But you know what? Um, it shouldn't always be good. Sometimes it's tense. I was waiting for you to say it's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> but I, I use the word tense. You know, um, we all have our specific focus. Um, I'm, a, I'm appreciative of our IT um, um, commissioner and the mayor because I think when you have these teams of rivals, what, what do I mean when I say rivals, right? My commodity are residents and citizens, right? And I have to put them first because I'm hearing from them. I have this CX strategy that's there. The IT is looking at the processes and what we're trying to do, looking at that. My job is to open up the window to say, this is what they're looking at and how do we measure that? And so when we say tense, it's good because we're in the same room. We're talking about the same thing. And he's listening and I'm listening and I'm understanding more. I don't pretend to be this IT guru, but I intend, I, I know that when the mayor has put me in this position, it is to focus on this, this way of how we reach residents in this new age. And so tense is good, right? You know, that's how Healthy we competition. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, that's how we collaborate. That's how we listen to each other. Um, and I appreciate that because the more I know about what's going on in the back end, the more I know about different strategies, you know, whether we're talking about legacy systems or whether we're talking about all these things that are there within the city, you know, I'm going to look at this like that doesn't work. And he's going to say, well, why doesn't it work? And I'm going to, we're going to have that discussion and you have to have that. I know in some cities, you know, um, and I, some cities, the IT drives everything, right? You know, and I think maybe that's one way of doing it. But here, you know, we're working into this very collaboratively together, right? And that's an important thing. I allow him to focus on his mission. I'm his chief client or customer, right? You know, and I walk in there that way and we um, come up with the best product that we have um, for citizens and residents in the community. Well, I think that's one of the directions that government has been trending towards. Again, the pandemic accelerated is taking a look at mission orientation. And that needs to be the primary driver around what type of procurement strategy you might have on the technology side. If you don't have the right culture in place and you don't have the right mission orientation, then ultimately throwing technology at the problem isn't going to solve anything. It needs to have that underlying strategy first. And you talked about the importance of inclusion. Um, I've used the term digital equity, especially during the pandemic. How does that drive your strategy forward? And, and I'm really interested in, in kind of how you're gaining some of the information, because I know you and I talked earlier, um, even before this recording, and you talk about how you're literally hitting the streets 
and you're hearing from your constituency firsthand. How how does the information you gain from them equate to the inclusiveness of your strategy moving forward? Well, I think municipalities and cities are consuming data at a different type of rate, right, than we've ever have. And I think this idea of how we collaborate and how we look at that, I, you know, we're going to talk, uh, we can talk about siloing, and I know we're going to hopefully talk about that too, but how we are consuming data in communities are important. During the pandemic, in the beginning, when it all started, uh, it was about testing. It was about, you know, when this all was happening, we didn't know what was going on, everything was happening. Um Government is this great equalizer. We don't want to stigmatize one community over another, but we knew some communities were being disproportionately affected, right? The data could tell you that. And so when we did that and we said, how do we, and we knew what was going on. How do we share that with communities or do we? We don't want to stigmatize one way or another. And we trusted the community because we went to those communities because some of the solutions are happening in those neighborhoods. And so how do we get to those solutions? How do we hear from that? And so it was important that, um, what, whether it's 311 or our call center, or we became drivers to listening to what's happening in the community so we can share that information. Very, very important because how things are affected disproportionately. You know, I always talk about um, this digital equity or how we're doing. This is kind of like the democratization of how we view government in some type of way. People calling, people clicking, people whatever, you know, is important because um, it's not about the choice neighborhood. It's about the impacted neighborhood and how do we drive that services to those things. And so, um, and we talked about this, vacant lots can't call 311, right? You know, um, potholes or service deliveries where people need help, right? You know, how do we drive that, you know, to that point and how do we use this? So um, digital equity is important. It's not always so much where you have the abundance of calls. Sometimes it's the absence of calls that tell a story. Right. People want to say, oh, I'm calling three one of this and that, and that. People tend to do that. People will um, the squeaky wheel. Right. But what about the area where I can map and I can look at data? I'm like, what's going on over there? Why am I not? And I can start kind of, you know, looking at, you know, some causation and some other things like that. That helps us do that. And so, you know, I find myself in my this role that we do in terms of listening to people, but also how we schedule and how we map and how we look at folks helps communities more so than others and allows us to be drivers in those communities um, for services, but also um, other things because the pandemic will be relieved in some type of way, right? And so in the aftermath, how do we look at those communities and develop those communities? And we find out it's the same thing happening over and over again, right? You know, um, challenged neighborhoods. You know, where there's challenging neighborhoods, you have ch- other things that are challenging. So in Buffalo, we've been focusing on that in terms of how we deliver some economic development. We talked about our downtown. We talked about other aspects of that. How do we look at this equity aspect and how do we that become drivers of other equitable um, opportunities within the community? And so one of the things that I tend to look at when I'm talking about smart cities or connected communities is the need for the complete ecosystem to not be the same because every faction of a city is different. And that doesn't just, that isn't just true when you're talking about smart cities, when you're talking about service deployment, it's the same, right? It's you have different pieces of a city that is going to, that are going to demand different needs, services. And one of the things that I think is really cool, especially coming from Buffalo, when I think Buffalo, I think snow, I think way too much snow. But 
you've really taken a look at what do all the factions of my city need throughout Mm -hmm. all four seasons and really building resilience throughout that. How do you go about understanding when you segment them and cross-section them to that degree, how do you go about understanding all of those needs and then serving the citizens in the way that they need? Well, the, the life of, 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 of a city, an urban setting, um, moves differently in different neighborhoods, right? And we have to understand that on a very granular level. Um, we also have to maintain that there's a direct service delivery that each community has, and we should be able to deliver that, irrespective of the different challenges that we have. And so um, it's real important that, you know, everyone, you talked about this ecosystem. So I may be a driver, but other departments may do that. Department of Inspections, Public Works, um, Police, Fire, they all have this understanding of how we deliver services and the expectations of that. You know, how long it takes to deal with something. When I talk about equity, you know, um, you know how long we take to um, fix a stop sign or a um, trim a tree in some neighborhoods, um, or fix a, a light, um, it can be life-saving, right? You know, in some communities more so than others. And so getting departments on the back end to look at the service delivery at our different seasons, and you know, Buffalo, you know, um, we deal with this white stuff called snow. We do it well, you know, whether it's plowing or that, that. Um, but in each of those seasons, there's a different expectation of doing that. And from my center, because I'm listening to people, I can see that. I can see call volume. I can see people, how people access this digitally and what we can do. And it's my job to convey that on the back end to those departments to maintain um, a, 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 a level of service. And how do we measure that? And then hold them accountable. Very, very important. The mayor allows me to hold these departments accountable. You said you were going to do it. You said you were going to fill that pothole in 48 hours. Then you know what? Let's do it. And then let's report back and let's and let's make sure that we do that. And again, I'm, we're talking about different seasons. You know, um, I don't want to just mention snow in Buffalo, but right now I'm dealing with 80, 90 degree weather. It, you know, it changes um, from one um, area to another. We're dealing with climate change. We have this big, beautiful lake called Lake Erie. And its effect on, you know, Western New York and Buffalo. So all of those things change and we have to be mindful of that. So you obviously have a lot of programs in place to extract data from your citizenry to try to get the most value you can out of, out of them. One of the things that I generally speak to is data isn't useful. Information is. So what are you putting into place to be able to take a look at all the data that you have and really extract insights out of it to make decisions, actionable decisions on behalf of the citizens there? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Dashboarding um, is an important thing. Um, and so who consumes the dashboards, right? On an executive level, um, on a managerial level, but also how do we share that information with community residents in terms of expectations? It's important. How do we make data actionable? You know, how do we look at hotspots? We do an initiative called um, Clean Sweeps where we look at various levels and in information. And one day out of the week, we take city departments, community-based organizations based upon information and data, and we make it actionable. We're knocking on doors, passing out information, fixing things. And, you know, people like, 
you know, I always I, I tell this story because we call it the Clean Sweep Initiative, right? And we're looking at data again, making it actionable, going into communities one day out of the week, and then we arrive there, right? Building inspectors. Um, we deal with neighborhood restoration, code enforcement. We deal with prevention and treatment. All of those different things, based upon again information that we collect, not just through three one, but other information. I'm picturing the team from like Extreme Makeover Home Edition walking up to a house into a neighborhood. <laughs> And so not just a neighborhood, not just a house, but a whole neighborhood. Whole neighborhood yeah. And so we get there. People are like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on? Lights are blaring, everything like that. We have teams, everything. And I said, well, you, but you did call us. No, I didn't. But, but you did. Didn't you call us? And she's like, oh, my God, I didn't think you were coming. No, you should think that we're coming. We should always be able to do that. And so the collective efficacy of everybody coming into that. And we've been doing this initiative and it's been great. You know, um, then on the back end, some of the workers like, oh, my God, this was the best clean sweep ever. Yeah, yeah, because the data told me we need to be here. Right. And so and I just want to just rely on data. Data with intelligence was happening in the community is important. We did um, during the pandemic. We did something called the mayor's um, good neighbors network where we relied on residents. Right. So. I'm a big believer in community. So I'm going to give that information. We have an open data portal. We're one of the first cities to move into that area. Well, opening up our data and opening up our data sets, you know, that's important. But how do we have residents consume that? So we did um, Data 101. We showed residents how to look at that, how to look at different data sets, how to go into that. It was important for us to have block club members and community members know how to access that. You know, I'm not going to say nothing bad for the, you know, the PhD or the college kid who's, you know, whatever. They're going to look at data. But how do we make that actionable for residents who live in the community and let them look at expectations on service delivery? Well, that's, so- actually, that's actually a really cool way to also drive entrepreneurism within the city, too. I don't know how many of my listeners know open data is incredible, not just from a transparency and accountability standpoint, but some of the applications that you have on your, your Android or your iPhone mm-hmm. – all of that stems from government open data, whether the Weather Channel app or weather.com, all of that is is NOAA information. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really cool initiative to drive that entrepreneurship forward and really changing the landscape of the city. Oh, it does. I see other cities using data. You know, even when you're going to a big city and the expectation of when a bus is coming or not, mm-hmm. right? That's open data. You know, um, how often we get and look at things in neighborhoods, those are drivers. And that's what makes up this city in terms of that. Kind of getting back to looking at our thing in terms of a citizen-centric perspective. And it's my job to be the, the the town crier or the city crier to say, listen, let's look at that. And I'm, and I'm grateful that a position like this has been created, that I have um, license to work with different departments, you know, and, and, you know, my buddies in IT and, and all of those. But again, um, Every department should be focused on citizens and residents, right? And which which we do, you know. But there has to be somebody that's looking and constant. I mean, we we do customer surveys, customer satisfaction surveys, and we let residents know. We let on the back end know how you're doing, you know, what's going on, you know. And that's an important thing. Our mayor is always constantly out there, but council people and, and residents and how do we connect to those things are very very important. How much are you able to? We we've talked about collaboration within your internal organization, how much are you able to collaborate with your peers in other cities and even at the state levels when you're looking for not only inspiration, but around validation through some of the programs that you're rolling out? I think that's, 
you can't underscore that enough. I think there's a unique perspective that my colleagues have who do what I do. Um, we can talk and, and talk, you know, they may not know about the different neighborhoods or who we're talking about, but it's usually similar things that are going on. You know, um, we talk about um, innovation as a driver many different times. We talk about different neighborhoods and, and we talk about those assets and we help each other. I think um, having those relationships um, with other cities, like-minded cities, you know, um, are important. Um, our state partners are important. You know, our county partners who may have different focuses and how we share and how we deliver that, very important. Um, and it allows us to get through that day. You know, I, I, I talked a little bit about innovation as a driver. Uh, innovation as a driver is important, um, but it, you can't do it without um, having the customer or having the resident or the citizen that's involved within that too. You know, and I think, um, you know, discovering how and how our end users use this is an important thing. It allows us to do that. I think the pandemic is a great example of that, right? You know, it challenges, it pushed us to the brink. You know, we bent, but we did not break. But as we move to this, we don't live going back to the same thing. We have a better product, you know, and, you know, and I'll be honest, shame on those administrators or cities who don't learn from that, right? You know, um, that it doesn't become a problem. Anytime that somebody calls and looks at us, I look at that as an opportunity, an opportunity to serve. You know, anytime somebody calls, you know, like we change that moniker from complaint, it's an opportunity. What can we do? How can we do that? Because if somebody's calling me about a tree that's overgrown or somebody's calling me about a light, what are other things that they're calling me about that they're not? And how do we drive upon that? That's how we impact communities. And that's how we make, you know, um, you know, we look at this issue of equity, you know, in a different way. Are you having these conversations with your peers right now during the pandemic? And if so, how much is building resilience into these programs really part of the narrative that you you're driving? It's everything. Um, so resilience in our technology, um, resilience in the processes that we put together, you know, um, I think we, we could talk about um, various technologies, but if we don't talk about processes and what's there, what's in place, um, and then the investment in our people, right. You know, we talk about the future of work, right. We talk about, you know, how do we scale, our, our public employees a little bit different, right? You know, um, getting them to not just only answer calls, but now to, to look at things digitally or how do we, you know, the use of chat boxes and, and, and chat bots and, 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 and how we look at that, even how we look at social media, you know, how people are on, you know, people are on their phones in a different type of way. You know, then that's not calling. And I joke around, they're clicking or they're just, they're, they're, they're doing all of those things. So, how do we get employees, government employees, to look at that differently? I think the public sector has done that. And the challenge for us in the private, I mean, in, 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 in the um, public sector, not the private sector, in the public sector, is to make that investment within those employees, right? You know, many of them are civil service employees, and we have to change that. But we have to, you know, earn as we grow. We have to learn as we grow. Communities are doing that, right? And so our, our workforce has to match um, that same intensity. You strike me as a kind of guy that literally can't get enough information. Like you're constantly, you you must constantly be looking for for ways that you can improve your 
your service deployment. How do you avoid that paralysis by analysis and, and getting too far into the weeds to where you really can't make that larger decision? Is there an art to that or, or what are you doing? Well, you know what? Um, I don't know if there's an art for that. I, um, I allow for collaboration. I allow for, for to listen to people um, and not just um, my colleagues. My colleagues and my, my, my cohorts are important. Um, often, you know, I talked about the clean sweep as a driver, we go in the community, right? You know, if you, you lose that touch that people can't talk to you about some of the things is important. Right now we're looking at, um, our CRM system. And so, um, we're going through a process and I'm including residents and communities as part of that process, right? How do we look at, you know, looking at, at, bringing a new system without engaging them, not at the back end, but in the beginning, right? And so um, that's not going to stop. I'm a little A-type personality. Um, I love doing this. You know, I love um, working and, and putting citizens first. Um, I'm going to continue to do that. Um, but what drives me here is I don't close the door to listening to what people in the community have to say, right? Some of these things are complex, but um, some of the solutions are really simple, right? And sometimes we look past that if we don't have that door open um, to listening what people um, in the community have to say in terms of um, this how we drive um, service delivery. You've talked about, and I'm glad you finished that statement that way, the, the way you drive service delivery, because you talked a little bit about how you take a look internally and what the future of work looks like for your own internal department. How do you see the optimization of maybe processes or the way technology is going to be folded into that ecosystem. How do you see that being able to drive better citizen experiences for your constituents beyond just, beyond just the having that three one one program and perhaps optimizing your website, but really, really building that resilience within, within your internal group. I was going to mention our webpage, our website, but you know, let me let me look at this a little different. I think it forces us. Sometimes government is set up in a different way. Um, it, you know, we look at city charters and how things and departments were set up years ago, and we're still operating that way. Some of the problems are complex, right? Some of the problems that we're dealing with are dealing with across social determinants of health, where it's not, it's not the police department to deal with, right? Especially right now. And we can't talk about this in terms of some of the challenges that some communities are having. That why is it maybe that sometimes it's not a 911 call? Maybe it's another call, right? And so how do gov how does government, you know, adapt to that, right? And how do we, you know, um, I'm grateful for law enforcement and the role they play as first responders, but maybe other departments and other um, entities need to accept that first responder's role? And how do we engage residents in a different way, right? So on the back end, so I, I just want to answer that question on the back end. How do we equip ourselves? You know, um, the city uh, of Pittsburgh has, you know, they have a public works department, but I think they call it the Department of Public Mobility, and I forget that. So it's oriented differently. And so we're oriented differently. Some um, some of the challenges that happen in communities and neighborhoods are, are, are multifaceted, right? And we need to equip ourselves with that too. That's why I talked about how government employees react towards different things. How do we look at things? How do we equip them to be problem solvers, you know, within um, the first call that they have? 
first call resolution is important. How do we follow up? How do we share service information with residents in the community? I'm of the opinion that we open it up. We share it. This is your information. You know what? How you consume that? Let me help you consume that because it will drive us to be a little bit better. No, I, I think that's that's an important way to look at it. And I like how you took a look at kind of systemically how government is set up to be able to focus on those things. When you take a look at how you're deploying your strategy, how much does the adoption of services factor into this? And I ask this question because during the pandemic, I think both internally and externally, there really wasn't a choice, right? Uh, for let's let's take a look internally first. You can roll these things out like Teams or Zoom or whatever platform you're using to communicate with each other. And in a normal situation, that might be a couple month rollout in how they how organizations would go about doing that. And you might see increased adoption in certain areas. But really, the pandemic made holistic adoption mandatory. It was just a draconian mandate. And the same goes on the other side. Externally, there was no alternative. You mentioned how great City Hall is. They really didn't have a choice. They couldn't walk up to City Hall and do any, let's say, paper-based processes or, or consume your services that way. Everything had to be digital, essentially, or, or not in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so service adoption really was mandatory. You didn't have to really build that into it. But looking at the new normal, how much do you factor that in to your strategy moving forward? I think um, we, we you can't go back. I don't even know how do we even go back to doing that. You know, the face of how government operates is different. You know, and I love the way you looked at that in terms of how we, you know, in terms of adoptions. Um how we interface with residents. Um, I have our operators, I have workers here who are using Teams or Cisco WebEx. And um, we even had, um, I had some of our interns and some of our um, workers here go into neighborhoods and communities and we had to show them how to do that, right? You know, the days of talking to somebody and you only see one eye and it's like, you know, it's Mrs. So-and-so, baby, I can't see you. (laughs) No, you know, I'm, and and you're communicating with them. And now they're after it's like, um, direct the mastery, you're on mute. Hello, take it off. There's an evolution to that, right? You know, and so the fact of the matter here that I would have a 60 or 70 year old woman get on teams was an indicator that that was the time of the change. That was our time to change. We had to orient ourselves. And so I think um, going back to that, that I, you know, how we pay bills online, that's increased, right? You know, or not even digitally. Sometimes we can request that payment. I'm always looking at it that, you know, just the, the, you know, young people use um, Google Pay, right? You know, we send money. But you know what? You'd be like, hey, give me a few dollars and they give you a dollar amount. And it's something that says, okay, I better pay you. We need to orient ourselves to that, you know, and look at that, you know, um, again, how we um, are sending um, bills that are out that on paper, you know, how we consume information in terms of email and information, texting and all of that stuff is part of our strategy is here. And I think you're right. Did it, did it, did it slap us in the face? Yeah, it, it slapped us in the face. And I say us as government, you know, and whether it be the pandemic or those things, um, are we better for it? I tend to think that we are. Um, 
was it a cakewalk to get to that point? It really wasn't, you know, but um, the reality that how people and communities had to adapt, right? Um, we had to make sure that we adapted with them, right? You can't, you know, um, when communities are challenged all together, when pandemic, all of those things, and we don't take the time to orient ourselves to, to align. Let me, I use orient to align. You know, we had to, and it's here. So I don't think we're going back. I think uh, it's, 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 it's here. It's allowed us to, I think, be better, um, allow us to be a little more nimble. We scaled, right? And that was an important thing um, because neighborhoods or residents or households had to scale as well, right? And so how are we listening to them? And it then allows us to, on the back end, because, you know, again, cities are where we are to spur um, development and ideas and thoughts and the arts and, you know, how we um, consume faith and all of these things and how we work and educate ourselves. Um, how we listen to what's happening in those communities are very important. I think you're absolutely right. It definitely definitely slapped government in the face, but it, I think it slapped everybody in the face. And it's it's something that, in, in my opinion, it, it's inevitable that there's going to be something moving forward that's going to do the exact same thing. And it might not be a global pandemic, but it's going to be something. That's why I think it's it's so important. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are having those conversations around resilience with your peers and weaving that into the fabric of service delivery. It's, it's absolutely paramount. But it, it's, it should not be, I mean, and I am completely, but it's not limited just to my peers. Um, how we look at government from the top up, from your CEO, mayors, deputy mayors, council people all have to be communicating and talking the same thing. We're looking at different things, whether it be my budget person, right? So if I need this, you know, that person has to work with me too, because it may take an initial investment, right? And how do we convey that to the community? You know, that's my mayor who's doing that. You know, um, that is that is how council people are doing that, because we can't be in this only looking at it as, you know, one department doing this over another. How do we translate you know, um, those emerging needs and how do we how do we adapt to that? And so peer level is important, but it's also peer level on different levels and how we communicate that, how we we talk about this general sense of resilience. You know what? Um, Buffalo is a resilient city, you know, um, but how do we tap into that? But how do we build upon that? Right. It's an important thing. And so for the public sector to do that, um, you know, um, we need to start to think about how do we lead the way in that, right? You know, um, people look at government for certain basic needs. Um, they look at government to make sure that um, we're looking at equitable growth in different neighborhoods. They're looking at in terms of how we look at equity, right? Because drivers will drive, right? You know, um, but how do we do that? And I think um, having our eyes and open on that too. So I love the idea because I, I have a great relationship with my peers um, and how we communicate and how we look at that. You know, we're all like, what did you do over there? How do you do that? And whatever. And but but the real reason here is that there's no pride in authorship. If something is working somewhere, you know what? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. You can borrow that too. And let's make that happen. No, I, I think that's a really good point. Um before before I give you a chance to to give some final thoughts, I do want to touch on real quick a use case that I know you spoke to me about. I think it's incredibly cool. 
And it's a way that you're enveloping GPS and IoT into your service delivery. We had talked about snow obviously being a challenge to the city of Buffalo. And I think you're absolutely right. You guys do a, a great job. I think a better job than than we do down here in Northern Virginia, even with a, a couple inches, not a couple feet. And you guys have the ability to not only have citizens input the request and the need for for a plow to come through, which I think a lot of cities do, but what you're doing is leveraging process automation and GPS and IoT to allow everything to just become seamless. The truck comes through, GPS grabs the fact that it's been there, it's plowed that road, the process is completed, that case is closed, move on to the next next thing. Explain this use case. It's really cool. Well, um, you know, sometimes, um, well, need um, begets innovation, right? You know, um, where there is a need, um, usually that's an opportunity for innovation. And and so obviously dealing and not just at a call center, but looking at things, um, we knew we had different assets that were in the community when we were fighting snow, plow trucks, you know, garbage, all of those assets. And we had our um, GPS devices and all those. We also knew that people would call our call center. And so part of having a call center is, you know, you take the call and you, you there's always calls in a queue. So how do we... Um, deal with some calls faster than others. And so we saw there was a need where, um, you know, you could do a geo bubble around each one of the houses. And if there was a plow truck that went down there who requested it to say, hey, you know what, we need a plow. Is the plow um, down or, or closed? It would go past that. It would automatically close out the case. So that meant the operator, right, um, as we took it, would automatically close it out where they would see it. And if somebody was called and say, hey, um, we need a plow truck or whatever, we would automatically see that. It would automatically happen, just like you said. And so um, that became kind of, you know, we, we didn't think that was anything, I guess, you know, innovative to the people who called, you know, but it was an important thing because it allowed us to deal with other um, initiatives, other, I mean, other calls in the community. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we uniquely have done you know, only because, you know, it drives us to to, to be better um, for residents in the community. I think it's a perfect example of what governments all over the world are trying to do is shift their employees into a, a from, from that low value to high value work or that necessary work into a more strategic work. And when you can get rid of something like checking off a box from a GPS, mm -hmm. from a plow truck, it frees them up to do some more strategic things for community. So I think that's that's an excellent use case. And Oswaldo, this has been a great conversation. Anything you want to leave from a final thoughts perspective with our audience today? No, I, I started to say that, you know, I'm a big believer in cities and municipalities. It's where the rubber hits the road. It's where um, the people that you work with um, are the people um, that you live, work and play and, and worship with. Um, there's a role that, that we play in communities and and um, listening to them and, and, and drives a, a, a community like Buffalo that become a, this moniker, this neighborhood, city of good neighbors, right? You know, um, that doesn't make a difference. And you, you're a Buffalonian, you know, although you're down, down. Um, it's been a while. Yeah, but that's all right. You know, it, the roots are still there. Um, you, you get stuck on the road, you, you help somebody out, 
you go back in the car and you don't even remember if they said thank you or not because it's, it's, it's what we do, right? You know, so it really builds when we talk about resilience, you know, how do we build upon that? How do we not just make that a word, but a way of living, you know, and how do we make that where it's not a unique thing? It just becomes part of what we do. And so how we pass it on. It's been a pleasure to talking to you and just kind of, you know, focusing on these things. Um, Buffalo is, 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 is like any major American city um, that we live in. Um, our government is expected to be responsive. And I'm fortunate to be put in this position. Um, our mayor um, created this position to um, be the focal point of residents in the community. Um, look at information, how we drive that, you know, can take a back view, look at equity, right? And how we drive in communities, but look at service delivery and how we work with different departments, you know, so that um, it makes a more just and equitable community. So thank That's, you. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Thanks, Oswaldo, for the time today. And it sounds like the, the constituents of Buffalo are in really good hands. Well, thank you very much. I'm grateful to be in this position. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ShittisterAB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.